0: Join the guild and secure your ticket to Scott's sale at the best possible price by visiting MaxLawEvents.com.
1: It's a real different mindset, I think, when we sit back and say to ourselves, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this for really trying to build something substantive. Maybe I'll sell it, maybe I won't. At the end of the day, I wanna have something that's solid and able to withstand ups and downs. I come to this space from a place of taking that opportunity to sort of assess where we are, to have goals of where we want to get to, but to sort of relish the journey and to be open to what happens along the way instead of being so obsessed about getting everything right perfectly today. Run your law firm the right way. The right way yeah. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I am Jim Hacking. And I'm Mr. Wonderful,
2: AKA Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Good morning, Mr. Wonderful. How are you? (laughs) You know, inside jokes never work, you know, and so uh, you and I were just talking. I was just joking around that was Mr. Wonderful, and then we were talking about Shark Tank. That's where that came from. So I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, full steam ahead. It's been an interesting couple of weeks, and I thought we could do an episode where we check in, and then we talk about sort of long-term planning. I really
2: like your topic. You texted me this morning about it. I'm like, yeah, seems pretty good. I think I've got some good stuff for it, too. So what is new in your world? Well, it's been an interesting past couple of weeks. You know, I went up
1: to Washington, D.C. for John Fisher's mastermind, and it was terrific as always. It was the largest one John's ever had. We had 27 attorneys. So Seth's office was really bursting at the seams. We had one group in the main conference room, one group in sort of the lunchroom, and then my group was down on the second floor. So it was a real good group of people, and John mixed it up a little bit. Historically, he's done it where He put sort of the newer lawyers in one group and the more seasoned lawyers in another. But this one, I think mostly just because he had so many people, he just mixed it all up. And we were really lucky to have a good group. And it was good to spend a full day thinking about ways to improve our firm. And John was gracious enough to ask me to be the leader of my little group. You know, I really enjoy stuff like that. So it was great to be with John and to see everybody.
2: Yeah, I heard the other groups really got a lot out of their experience. I haven't heard anybody from your group, so I, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that's maybe because they just got left out of it or something like that. Just kidding. I've heard really good things about people in your group that were really – in all groups, really. They all had a great time. And I'm glad that he mixed it up again because my first one that I went to or the, the only one I've been to was the very first one he did. And it was mixed. It was insane. I remember at the time it was – I think I was either just a solo or solo with an assistant. And I remember sitting in this room and, you know, across from me, a millionaire, next to me, a millionaire, 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 millionaire. And then it was me, Mike Campbell, and a couple other people were like, huh, I don't know if we're in the right room. You have all these highly successful attorneys, but it was really beneficial though, especially to see like, yeah, the exact same struggles. I mean, it was really, really cool. I think it's beneficial to have, the mix of newer attorneys or people that are just starting their firm with the more advanced attorneys. Because I think you can share from each other. I think there's a lot you can you could share. So I think, I think that's really, really good.
1: One of the people there was thinking about opening up an office in California, which is something I've been wanting to do. And then we had Josh Goldstein in our group who, in fact, did that. He had an immigration practice in Boston and decided to open up an office in LA. So it was interesting to hear from the person who's thinking about wanting to do that. And then Listening to the person who's actually done it, and then the interplay between the two, and for everybody chiming in was great. We also, in our group, we had Bill Umansky, and he's sort of a wild man. We were really glad to have him in our group, and he just brings a total different flavor to the group. You know, he's dressed to the ninth He had on a canary yellow jacket, canary yellow socks, a black shirt, black pants, black shoes. He was just styling and profiling, and it was it was fun. We're gonna definitely have to have Bill on the show.
2: And if you have not met Bill you need to meet Bill. That's all I got to say. He's a character and he's a great dude. So you you should totally reach out to Bill. Just Listen, just pick up the phone, call Bill Umansky and say hi to him. And he will be a lifelong friend. I guarantee it. He's such a good dude.
1: Last week, I was lucky enough, you know, the PILMA conference was in St. Louis and a lot of our friends were in town and we got to have dinner. You were kind enough to come up from Columbia for my birthday and Mitch Jackson was there, Chris Niklasen, Seth Price, David Terry, Nalini, Anika, and Mitch's wife, Lisa, and Amani, my wife, came in. And it was just a really nice night on a rooftop restaurant in St. Louis. Seth Price was very generous to pick up the bill, and we were all quick to get out of there quickly while you were in the bathroom. We all sort of ditched you because we were tired of talking to you.
2: It was the weirdest thing. Where is everybody? Like, everyone's gone? It's like, okay, well, whatever. It was a lot of fun, though. It was a blast. I was really happy that I really get to see everybody. Someone I didn't get to see was David Haskins. David Haskins was apparently in town. I didn't get to see him.
1: Well, it's fun to hear about other people's conferences too. I don't know if you've ever been to PILMA. I have not. It's for plaintiff's lawyers, so it'd probably be more inclined for you than for me. But my understanding is it's a lot of old school marketing stuff, people talking about billboards and television commercials and all that stuff, which I think is sort of big in the PI space, but not necessarily in other practice areas. But I think that everybody who went to it, enjoyed it
2: so i heard you know everyone that went to it was happy about it and everything else but i I mean I, I had zero interest in going and i don't know why it just maybe is because it was, it was all old marketing to me and not new marketing and so i just i feel like our conference has a lot more value and which we just had not too long ago and i don't know i just I wasn't interested in going but i'm sure there's a lot of value and i just i had no interest in going what's going on with oh. you I'll talk more, probably in more depth in, in the coming weeks about it. You know, we've, you know, we've had a lot of changes in the firm and I will tell you this, the changes have led to more innovation for me in the last three weeks than I've had in the last year and a half, which is fantastic. It has been a really, I think amazing last three weeks. I'll put it that way. It's been really cool. I think, uh, My firm is going to be very solid going forward, and that's actually a good thing to say because we're talking about what our topic is today. I'll let you introduce that in a second, but no, things are going really, really well. There's been a lot of change, but things are going well, though. We've got new hires. There's been a change in the name of the firm, which, again, I'll talk about more later. The website's changed. I'm looking at hiring Mike Whelan to do a redesign of the website and do some content. He's got a really neat content creation strategy that's very similar to William Edies and it's sort of a do it for you kind of a thing and then initially and then a do it with you kind of a package. And so there's changes with that. I've been tinkering with some other marketing ideas, which we can get into later that are, have been fruitful. At this stage, I think they're a little proprietary. I don't really want to dig too deep into them, but there's some really cool ideas that I've sort of stolen from other attorneys and, and adjusted a little bit and had some pretty good results on them, so we can talk about it later. But in a nutshell, the last three weeks, that's kind of what's been going on.
1: We're going to have a hell of a conversation later because you're being very cryptic. I understand why and everything, but I've been struck by how much you have been hustling the last couple of weeks, and I've been struck by how much people have reached out to you and, and sort of chipped in with their ideas on things that you can do, and so I'm I'm excited about that. I'll be glad when we talk about
2: it. In our community, is fantastic. And listen, so I, I want to make sure I clear something up. I don't know if I've cleared this up in the podcast. One of the first questions that people asked me when they came in town from Pilma, and they needed to know because apparently this came up at the mastermind, is do Gary Berger and I hate each other? And I thought it was the funniest thing. Because Gary Berger and I love each other, and one of the the most supportive individuals that has been in my life over the last few weeks has been Gary Berger. So, for anyone thinks for some reason that he and I don't like each other, you're dead wrong. I just want to make sure I clear the air on that, Jimmy.
1: It was a topic of conversation in Washington D.C., and it's funny that people view you as competitors and sort of. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that you don't like, Tyson. I've never really heard you badmouth anybody, or and certainly not Gary. I mean, I know when you started going through these recent changes that Gary. And I were the two people you talked to first, and I know he's been very supportive. So I was struck by people asking me in D.C., I think Tyson really doesn't like that Gary
2: and I think Gary doesn't like him. <laughs> it was really funny. It was, it was really funny because you know, I think he and I just tease each other a lot. I think some people think that because we tease each other, we don't. But anyways, so we've talked quite a bit without even getting to the topic. You want to jump into the topic? The topic for today
1: is patience. In Arabic, the word is sabr. And I think about sabr a lot, patience. And so patience and building with the eye towards a 25-year firm. Like, where are we going to be 25 years from now? So that would be, I guess, 2043. And when you think about that, in 2043, I will be 73. So I'll be winding things down if I haven't already. And just sort of having this mindset of building something The future and being patient. I think that we have a lot of type A personalities in our group. I think we have a lot of entrepreneurs in our group. You know, I recently did that Colby index and I'm a 10 quick start, which means I'm all in real fast. And I just brought on a new piece of software and I'm all gung ho on it. And you know how I am about shiny objects and everything else. And so it's a real different mindset, I think, when we sit back and say to ourselves, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this for you know, really trying to build something substantive. Maybe I'll sell it, maybe I won't. At the end of the day, I wanna have something that's solid and able to withstand ups and downs. And to me, I come to this space from a place of being easier on myself, not being so hard on myself and, and taking that opportunity to sort of assess where we are, to have goals of where we wanna to get to, but to sort of relish the journey and to be open to what happens along the way instead of being so obsessed about getting everything right perfectly today.
2: So good. I love this topic, Jimmy. And, I, and I'm assuming that part of this topic came from strategic coach because it seems very strategic coach-esque. But the first thing that I thought of, there are two things really that I thought of when you mentioned the topic. One was the book Built to Last, by Jim Collins and the other thing was just the way Japanese companies view their businesses and by no means am I an expert in Japanese business culture but one of the things that I did learn when I was at Mizzou and whenever I was going through the business school is just the idea that you think about Japanese companies they think about what their company's gonna be like in 200 years which is it is such a a mind-blowing thing to think about that like okay what does my company look like in 200 years? Forget about 25 years. 25 years is within your lifespan. What is your company going to look like in 200 years, which has gone through several different corporate changes and company changes and cultures and everything else? And so, I think it really is when you start to think about it like that, then you really do start to dig in and build that bedrock. I think the bedrock, and I think that's the strongest part of what I've got going, and I've spent the last three years, just building out systems and building out the bedrock, which I think is going to help my firm grow and become very strong in the future. So what are your thoughts on that? Well,
1: I think that, you know, there's lots of angles to this. You know, one angle is that we are sort of laying the groundwork for expansion and growth and i think that you know i was thinking about this the other day that if we're not expanding we're recessing we're going backwards and you know we brought on a couple of new employees this month and you know that means we're gonna have to bring in some more cases and so i think that it's important as we go through life and through our business of, of making sure that we're you know improving and and that whole kaizen approach from japan i think to a constant daily Incremental improvement. That's something really good. And the other thing, you know, I'm not a systems guy as much as you are. And so when you think about building something that's going to outlive you 200 years or 25 years, I'm not going to be here practicing law in 25 years, I'll tell you that. But that makes me more inclined to want to work on the systems to sort of make something bigger than just us ourselves and, you know, just bigger than the personality of the person that started the firm.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think for people like you that say, you know, I'm not going to practice in 25 years, I think it's, far more important that you build out your systems and you you prepare for 25 years because if not, you're still going to be in 35 years working just to make money, just to pay the bills. But if you want to be in 25 years doing something else, whatever that may be, whether it's running another business or retired or whatever it is, you have to have something that's running itself, and it's going to take some time to build that. And Bill to last, actually what he talks about, Jim Collins talks about is clock building. Um, and not focusing on one product, you know. A lot of times, for example, um, if Apple had just focused on the iPod and just worked on the iPod, they'd be a dead company right now, but they constantly innovate, and so you have to clock build. And I don't know, I've, I've given a little bit of thought this morning just about, you know, as law firms, you know, how do we think about that from an innovation standpoint? Because basically, especially way we talk about with niching down is, I mean, we're kind of are dependent on one product, you know, we're not dependent on several products or innovating the products and practicing law over the last thirty years from just the strictly practicing standpoint of a person injury case or an immigration case, for the most part they're pretty similar the way they've been handled. I mean, it's if you think about it from start to finish, most of those cases are handled the exact same way. that the technology, all that has changed. But the actual just from start to finish, A to Z, the process is for the most part the same, especially from a litigation standpoint. As soon as the case is filed, litigation A to Z is, I'd say, probably almost identical other than e-filing. Not much has changed. The rules slightly change, but that's outside of your control. So I don't know about when it comes to clock building, if there's a way of innovating, and maybe that's what we need to focus on is innovating how we can do our specific practice area that gives us a competitive advantage in 25 years.
1: And, you know, I keep coming back to our interview with Mike Whalen and my conversations with him. You know, I think he's a deep thinker and I think he thinks about sort of the bigger picture of things. And I find myself maybe as I'm getting a little older, being drawn more towards that of thinking about, you know, the the business of the law, the, the approach to the law, sort of you know, building an expertise, not just so much because it makes you more marketable, but building your expertise for the sake of being an expert. And I also am struck by, you know, I put up that stat from Peter Diamandis in the Facebook group on Sunday about how 45% of current jobs will be gone in 10 years. And so, you know, it was interesting to see the reaction of our members. I know Don McClure sort of looked at that as a great opportunity. And I think that's one of the great things about our group is that we have that mindset of always looking for opportunities, even in what could be perceived as some people saying, you know, bad, news. That, oh my God, these jobs are all going to be gone. What's going to happen? But, you know, we're always looking for that improvement, that incremental improvement. You're right. I was at the Apple store the other day getting a new laptop and you know, the Mac and laptop section was literally half of one table. Everything else was iPads and iPhones. And, you know, back in the day, you know, Apple's whole business was computers. So I was really struck by that. So, yeah, I think that being too attached to the way we do things currently can be a real trap and really set us up for failure down the road.
2: I couldn't agree more. So I want to you something about just culture, i'm gonna shift gears a little bit like what are your thoughts on building a culture that's gonna last and that's gonna that is going to cultivate a firm that is going to make it last and thrive in the future like what are your thoughts on just the culture part of it so this is something that's
1: not my strong suit you know i have not been the best leader when it comes to affirmatively planning out how to build a culture or even a, a mission for the group i I think that because I'm such a quick start and because I jump into things and sort of bounce around from time to time that this sort of deep thinking that has to be done to help build a culture is not something that I am relatively good at. But I do think that my approach to things and my personality and the way I am as a boss and a supervisor, I think we've sort of been lucky and attracted people that sort of innately get what we're trying to build here and get what we're doing. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I'm just saying that I think I've been lucky in that we've gathered a group of personalities of people who, you know, for whatever reason, really want to help immigrants. Either they themselves are an immigrant, their family member's been an immigrant. And and it's really interesting to see how the people who have that deep passion for immigration have just sort of coalesced around us. And I think that because our work is so important and it's so immediate and it's so win or lose, yes or no, that the culture has sort of built
2: in spite of my lack of ability to really do it in a purposeful way. I think you're discounting it too much by saying it's luck. I mean, where are you finding these people or how are they finding you? Because I think this is an important factor to this is that you've found people that are passionate about what you all do as a firm. So how are they finding you?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think it, it, it really is a, a law of attraction. You know, one of our best employees was a client of ours and, and is a client of ours. And so, you know, obviously my wife is an immigrant and then she had some friends, one who's a lawyer who wanted to start doing meaningful work and one who was an immigrant herself who wanted to help us out if she could. And, you know, I'll take that passion and that drive and that, you know, quality person over skill set any day. If I owned a restaurant, I'd much rather have brand new people who had never worked in a restaurant before than people who had bad habits and had, you know, their own way of doing things. You know, I want people to do things the way we do things here. And I want happy people and positive people. And I think that's, that's always what I'm going to go for. I'm also always going to go for people who have overcome something. So really, in most interviews, I don't ask a lot of questions. The one question I, I almost always ask is tell me, one thing that you've really overcome and how you did it.
2: Okay. So here's a question I've got for you about that. And I know this isn't about hiring this podcast episode, isn't, but I think it's interesting. How do you deal with the candidates that you might miss that have overcome big things that either don't really want to tell you about it because it's a job interview or that have such a positive outlook that they don't consider much as an obstacle that they've had to overcome? They just move on they just okay see something they assess the situation and they they you know adjust from there like how do you deal with that because I think you may be missing out on some really good candidates
1: well you can't hire everybody and one thing that's been interesting you know Amani and I took a look at the team about six months ago and we realized that everyone that I had hired you know periodically whenever I hired them they were all a lot like me and we realized that everyone that Amani hired were all a lot like her so she and I always have this sort of internal yin and yang kind of conflict or interaction between, you know, I'm sort of more a touchy-feely kind of person, a rah-rah kind of person, and Imani's more like you and wanting to get, you know, the details on how do we get this done. And, and so I don't really view hiring as, you know, missing out on somebody. If I missed out on someone, then that just wasn't meant to be. And, you know, you and I were talking before we got on the air. And, and I think this is a really big approach, a really big, important part to the approach of of everything with the firm. And that is that, you know, no regrets, man, no regrets about anything, about any decisions I made. You know, eight years ago, I was renting space from some attorneys. I was out on my own for the first time. I'd been out for about two or three years, and I decided to become partners with those guys. And they were nice guys, but it just didn't work out. And, you know, do I spend a moment now thinking about oh boy, that was a really bad mistake that I spent that year and a half with those guys. I learned things, I I grew and it was what I needed at the time. And so, you know, always with whether it's a new hire or a case I didn't take or a case I lost or whatever, you know, the mindset is always next, next, move on, learn and grow and develop and, you know, fix it for the next time.
2: You know, and it's something that, um, this relates to that. Jason Selk, he was on our last episode and he, something he didn't talk about that I thought was really awesome. Whenever we went out to his conference in Vegas, he says he tells a story about a baseball player and the baseball player is up to bat and strikes out, takes third strike with two runners on and his team's down by a run. So it's, it's a big deal. You know, taking taking third strikes a really big deal. It's a bad mistake for people that are not baseball fans, especially when you have runners on. So the entire time he, Running out to the, to the left field. He's running out to the outfield, and he's he's thinking, "Oh my gosh, I really screwed up. You know, we're gonna lose the game now because I didn't hit the ball. I, I took third strike." And then, as he's thinking about that, crack! Ball comes his way. He gets a late jump because he's thinking about striking out, and he goes and he dives and he misses it. Ball goes to the wall. So they get a runner on second now because he's he's not paying attention. All right, so that compounds because the next batter's up, and he's thinking, about, man, I struck out. I got a late jump on that. Ball goes to the wall." And he's thinking, man, the press is going to kill me after this game. Crack, another one. Ball comes his way. Another late jump. Misses that one. Compounds it. And that's the wrong mindset. And he sort of talked about this. is No matter if you've had really good successes or you've had failures, next thing you think about is head up. Knees bent, ready for the next batter. That's how you need to approach things, and that's exactly what you're talking about. No regrets. Listen, you make mistakes, and you're going to have successes, but knees bent, head up, ready for the next batter. On every single thing, every single day, every single win, every single loss, you need to be thinking the same way. Something I want to talk about when you were talking about with your employees, it's really kind of interesting. So I'm not sure if you've ever read anything about this, but Jack Welch, when he's talking about hiring, has his four E's and one P. And I'm pretty sure you summed up the way you were looking for your employees, the way he does. He looks for energy. What's what's their energy level? How they energize other people, their edge, and the edge means you know making tough yes or no decisions quickly and sticking to it. Execution. So executing on what you're doing, and then passion for the work, which I think is really interesting. That's basically what you described, and, and not necessarily those words. I think it's important it doesn't mention experience. Is experience important at some point? Yes. But I think when you're looking for a new hire, you can, for the most part, what we do, we can train people and they can get that experience on the job. So I want to talk about something else. What I did was while we were talking, I pulled up just sort of the cliff notes on built a great. And I think it's a nice little outline for people looking to build that that long-term firm. What are your thoughts on BHAGs?
1: I think having a big, hairy, audacious goal is is a noble thing. I'm sticking with the baseball analogy. I'm more a singles guy. I'd rather I'm up for having a big, hairy, audacious goal as long as someone is practical enough to break it down into small steps. I'm a firm believer in daily improvement. That's why I like that book, The Slight Edge, so much. I think it's great to have a goal as goals as a person and as an organization. But I think that you know one trap for me often is that. I get so excited and so enthusiastic that I focus on it for a little bit and then I sort of go on to the next thing. So I think BHAGs are important, but I think they're also a trap.
2: I sort of agree with you. I think that Hags are extremely important. I really do. I think that you having that unified, goal as a firm, it can really unite you. And I think it's a really, really important thing. For example, we had the, the 250 jury trials in 10 years, and that had that created a buzz with other firms saying, oh my gosh, let's refer our cases to them. It had a buzz in the firm. I think there's a lot of benefits. Where I agree with you is if you pick the wrong beehive, you're setting your firm off on a terrible course <laughs> I mean, you could you could destroy your firm I think if you choose the wrong BHAG and so I think you have to be really be careful on choosing the you know big carry audacious goal because if you if you don't have your mind right if your team you're not unified on that goal I think you're going to screw the whole thing out. that's where I agree with you on that you know something else he talks about in these these companies that have lasted a long time and for people that haven't read built to last have you read it Jimmy I have indeed. Okay, so it's a thick book and it's it's dense is what I mean by by thick. I mean it's it is not a, a fast read in my opinion. But he compares these really big, massive companies that have lasted over fifty years, and then their competitors and the ones that didn't last. And comparing, like, okay, what was it? What were the characteristics that really allowed for them to last so long? And you know, one of the ones that really interests me is they embrace the genius of the and, so. One of the examples is lower cost or better service. How about lower cost and better service and embracing that and and getting all of what you want instead of, you know, compromising. So I think, I think that's really interesting because I think as attorneys, what we, have, we might think sometimes is that we have to do the or, you know, we – we can't we have to charge really high fees and give really good service or you know we we can be a low volume firm and do it that way and i don't think it, it really has to work that way so what are your thoughts on that
1: i think it's a good mindset i think that striving for the end is a good thing i think that you know we're always trying to define ourselves and if we can come up with an innovative way or a productive way to to provide legal services in a way that people are thrilled with our service and that's just going to make all the Parts of the before, during, and after unit work better. So yeah, I'm all for that.
2: I'm gonna ask you this question. So we're getting we're getting pretty close to time. In 25 years, where's your firm?
1: 25 years. My firm has offices across the country. We're the biggest law firm for immigration when it comes to family-based immigration. You know, there's there are law firms that do immigration. I see us shedding even practice areas within immigration over the next couple of years, and growing to a situation where we have sort of. All of our systems built out in this sort of franchise model of, you know, if an immigration attorney wants to open up a firm like ours in another city, then we're going to be able to walk in and show them all the ways to market, to practice, to produce legal work, and, you know, to continue doing battle with the U.S. Immigration Service. Interesting. I like it. I like it.
2: All right. Well, you want to start wrapping things up?
1: Well, I noticed you avoided saying where your firm was going to be 25 years from now.
2: Well, you didn't ask me the question. I didn't avoid it. I wasn't just going to volunteer it. I know exactly where my firm's going to be in 25 years. I This is a part of my vision. I want to have the, and I'm very, very careful in how I chose my wording on this, because this is something that I look at every single day, and I think about every single day, because uh, it's part of the training that Jason Self teaches. I want to have the most successful personal injury law firm in the Midwest. And I'll give you some specifics because it's very vague, but I don't necessarily want the largest law firm in the Midwest. I don't necessarily hold a lot of the personal injury firms that are the largest firms in high regard uh, for a variety of reasons, but I want to have the most successful. But what I do want is I want to have an office in every major city in the Midwest. And in my definition of Midwest is basically every state of Missouri and then every state that touches the state of Missouri. Then I'll also go up to Wisconsin and uh, Michigan, and I would include Ohio, to expand it a little bit. For the most part, the core would be Missouri and the states that surround Missouri, is my thinking on it. I don't want the franchise model. I want to be the person running it and still involved in it in 25 years and making big decisions. I think that that's, that's the part that I enjoy the most.
1: Well, if you go to Ohio, you're gonna to have to partner up with all of our friends up there. We sure have a lot of good friends in the Cleveland and Toledo area.
2: Yeah, they probably don't like me saying that. They probably they don't probably want another uh, competitor. competitor. Yeah, I doubt that. They're all good people, so I'm sure they would welcome it. So, all right, Jimmy. So let's wrap things up. Before we do, I want to remind everyone to please go to the Facebook group, join there. I had been very busy over the last couple of days, and so I, hadn't been, I have not gone on it until this morning. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Like, there's so much going on. It runs itself at this point, which I think is awesome. So go there, get involved in the discussion. We're actually, by the time you listen to this, it will be over, but we're having Sandy Van on this afternoon to talk about her systems and how she uses virtual assistants, which I think is going to be really freaking awesome. She has... Between 60 and 70 virtual assistants at any given time working on cases, which is insane, just to think about. So it, it can be a lot of fun. Also, if you will go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a five-star review. It helps people find us, and so we want to spread the love. So, Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? Well, you're right about the Facebook group. I've been posting
1: some things in there the last couple of days, and a lot of other people. Our friend Marisa from down in Florida. She's sort of jumped right in and she's posting every other day with really good questions. It was fun to have her on the show. One of the things I posted about was a Dean Jackson episode where he had a a real estate agent on and they were talking about becoming the mayor of their community. And so I really encourage people to check out that episode of the More Cheese, Less Whiskers podcast. But for my tip of the week or my hack of the week, I should say, I'm reading a book called The Fifth Discipline. It's by a a guy named Peter Senge, and it came out probably about 10 years ago. And it's about having a learning organization. So when I was reading the book, I was thinking about Mike Whalen, and I was thinking about his big thoughts about things. And I think this is great for a firm that's growing and sort of wants to take that next step and and have a learning organization where you're sort of bigger than the sum of the parts of all of your employees, and you're really making the most use of everybody's best talents. And so far, the book's pretty good. I like it.
2: All right, Jimmy. So let me ask you a question. You like to look good. I always look good. Is that what I asked you? Because you and I have differing opinions on that fact. But <laughs> do you like do you like to look good, or do you like to feel I good because you look good? Okay. So me too. Me, me too. So I tested out an app recently. It's called M. is in Mike Taylor. T A I L O R, and it is cool. So you what you can do is you can go onto this app, and I because I think. I mean, a part of you know trying cases. If I go in there looking like a slob, you know, it doesn't look good, right? The, the jury's gonna hold that against my client, whether whether we like it or not, they're going to. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go and check out this M Taylor. I I don't remember where I saw it. I saw it somewhere, and I, I decided to check it out. It is a really cool app. So it takes a picture of you and I think a video of you because you're. It must be a video because it has you spin and hold your arms in a certain way so we can get your measurements. And it is. Incredible, and so got my clothes look amazing, it's really cool. So, I check uh, check it out in Taylor. I think it's a perfect app for attorneys. Because you know, maybe we're you know, sitting in court and you, you measure yourself one time, and then once you've done that, you can order your pants, you can order your suits, you can order your shirts, whatever it may be. And you sit in court and they say, I need to update my wardrobe, and boom, done. So, I think that that we don't really talk about wardrobes much. Maybe we need to have someone to talk about fashion and just have a look in the courtroom. So I think that may be, that it could actually be a pretty cool episode. But anyway, M. Taylor, check it out. Um, Jimmy, anything else?
1: You needed some sartorial assistance, so I'm glad that you have found such an app because you were looking pretty shabby last time I saw you. Oh, get out of here. You're so
2: full of it. All right, let's wrap it up. Jimmy, great episode. Talk to you next week.
1: Peace, brother. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Maximum Lawyer Podcast. <laughs> To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.